0: Best served, coal. best served
1: cold. Best served cold. <Mei1> best, served best served
0: cold. Best served cold. Best served cold. Best served cold. Hey. Hey, hey. Okay. Hey, ho. Hey, hey. Let's go. Good morning. Good <laughs> afternoon. <speaking English> are we, we, we are. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. You um, may think that you've stumbled onto a new podcast because of our
1: wanky new intro.
0: New intro. Fear not, it is the same mess same old and general shenanigans that yeah. you are used to. Of course. Welcome to Welcome. another episode of Best Served Cold. Sorry, that was the weirdest intro ever. I think my brain stopped working. That's okay. The True Crime Podcast, where we drink wine and talk about crime. I'm one of your excellent co-hosts, Laura Elise, and I now come with a brand new recipe that tastes nothing like the original.
1: Nice. And I am your other co-host, Tama Tor, and I put the mental and fundamental.
0: Hey, nice. Very nice.
1: Welcome to a new week, uh, a new intro, and just sort of new things in general for the show, I guess.
0: Fingers crossed, if I have managed to get everything done in time, our Patreon has... Launched. Yeah, if we're not, trying <laughs> a new thing where we're now actually we're trying to be more organized, and we're recording a week in ahead. advance. Yeah. So hello from the past. Uh, normally we would record the night before the episode went live, which meant if something went wrong on the night or if one yeah, of us was unwell, like, the whole episode was not going to happen. Kind of screwed. Yeah. Uh, so we've we're now recording a week behind, which gives us a little bit of wiggle room if something goes awry. But it also means I have to talk about things in the future and commit to things in the future and then make sure they're actually done. Yes. Which is actually a great way to hold myself accountable. Yeah. So, fingers crossed, if everything has gone according to plan, our Patreon has now launched. Uh, If you don't see it on our social medias, it's because... I have let you all down and I've not got it done in time. Um, but fingers crossed, it's all launched and all the information will be on our social medias. Speaking of which, if you want to follow us on social media at the BSC podcast on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, that's all. That's it. That's that's all of them. And YouTube. And YouTube. All our episodes now go on YouTube as well. Yeah. And it's all the BSC podcast for nice Continuity. continuity. Um,
1: yeah, so we yeah, we're just... I think
0: maybe we'll leave all the little bits to talk about at the end.
1: Yeah, like we just we're just doing a different sort of schedule, and we'll I guess we'll talk about it more after the show.
0: Yeah, don't forget if you haven't already to chuck us a review on yep. anything you can review us on. Of We'd course. very much appreciate it. Yep. Share share with your friends, tell everyone to listen to it. Cause... Tell your neighbour. Yeah,
1: shake hands with them. Introduce yourself.
0: Or don't just go up to random strangers and tell them to listen to the podcast. You yeah,
1: know? See, see what see what happens. See what happens. Yeah,
0: you might make new friends. There you go. All right, Karma. Right. It's your turn to go first yeah. this week. so I got a big one. Take it away. I
1: got a big one for this week. Uh, so you remember a particular phenomenon that happened in the year of two thousand seventeen? You remember two thousand seventeen before the before pandemic and. The simple times when, simpler times when things happened, it was really crazy, and now it feels sort of like when something crazy happens, it's like, all right, well, fucking what else? Hello, Toffee. We are we. We've just been joined by our cat Toffee, who wants to say something. Um, anyway, so 2017 was, of course, the year that Fire Festival happened.
0: Yes, and
1: we all remember Fire Festival either because we. Or the TV, sh- the the Netflix series, or Hulu series, or we just saw it all over Twitter because it was a phenomenon at the time. So initially, Fire Festival was meant to be this like luxurious island getaway festival with celebrity guests, live music, like villas, resorts. The festival was founded by Billy McFarlane, who was known for starting the company Magnesis using 1.5 million dollars worth of investor funding. Uh, Aiming at creating a exclusive black card, kind of like an Amex, I guess, but with like social perks such as club memberships and it was targeted towards millennials who were, I guess, had a large status and um, presence in certain big cities like Mm. LA and whatnot. So, together with the rapper Jar Rule, they originate the idea for Fire Festival, which is just what I said before an island getaway with music. And the whole idea was to promote this festival to coincide with their new Fire Music booking app. And this is something that I actually didn't know. The booking app was for musicians, um, allowing organizers, like festival organizers and show organizers, to directly book with the musicians themselves. Um, And this happened because uh, for a festival I believe that uh, Billy was working on, he tried to contact Ja Rule and was rejected three times by his team. And when Billy asked Ja Rule why that was, he had no idea. Right. So they conceptualized this idea to just go directly to the musician themselves, which is, I mean, a great idea. Uh, A lot of stuff gets lost in translation with organizers and people in between sometimes they don't even get offers
0: yeah. given and to the person and then you indirectly. don't have to like have a booking agent Exactly,
1: then. yeah, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Uh, so, as I said, the conceptualized idea was a luxurious island getaway festival hosted in the Bahamas, something that was really unique and honestly had not been done before. And they had planned to host the festival in Norman's Quay, which is an island in the Bahamas. Now, this island is notorious for being previously owned by the famous drug lord Pablo Escobar. We've actually done an episode of on Pablo Escobar as well. so We have. Definitely go check that episode out. The important thing to mention here is that Billy was a entrepreneur and he was very good at what he did and Ja Rule had been in the music industry for years. However, none of them had ever done anything like this, not in scale nor magnitude and period. They just haven't worked on a festival ever before in their lives. Mm-hmm. This was the first time they were ever going to host a music festival and they were doing it in a deserted island in the Bahamas. So... Already, this idea is kind of fucked since Jump Street. Yeah. Uh, So in any typical music festival, it's fairly standard for the festival organisers to start planning and prepping everything about 12 months out from the festival date. Billy and Ja Rule gave their crew eight weeks to prepare the entire thing. Love that. This includes flights, accommodation, food, catering, music equipment, stages, talent, etc. And just to reiterate this is on a fucking isolated island. Mhm. So which
0: just makes everything so much harder.
1: So much harder. You're in a different country in an island. Mm. It's different if you're doing it in freaking Connecticut or whatever. You're doing it in the Bahamas. Okay, so Billy and Ja are able to lease the island from its owner and they begin to promote the festival. The festival's organized to take place on the weekend of the 28th to the 29th of April in 2017 as well as the weekend of the 5th and 6th of May to promote the festival they create a promotional video featuring several well-known models and influencers this included Bella Hadid and M- Emily Rudakowski. These models and influencers, as well as several other notable influencers like Kendall Jenner and Haley Baldwin, would further promote the festival by posting an orange square on the Instagram feed. I, I
0: remember when this happened. Yes.
1: And the caption would say something like, can't wait for Fire Festival. Woo, hashtag Fire Festival, tag the account. Yeah. Big, big thing, right? I mean, it's Kendall Jenner. Of course, it's going to spread like wildfire from there. Now, what wasn't initially known was that the influencers and models were actually paid to promote the festival this way, but they had to act like they were just keen to come to the festival and like, oh, man, I'm really excited. Like, I've been invited to a festival. I'm like, you know, whatever. Yeah. But they'd actually been paid for this entire strategy. So, obviously, with this social media campaign, Five festival goes completely viral. viral and all as all these well-known celebrities are talking about it, so it just completely spreads. For for just the orange square posted on her feed, Kendall Jenner was paid two hundred seventy five thousand dollars just insane. for that one post.
0: Yeah.
1: So naturally, people see these celebrities posting on their feeds and rightly assume, like, damn, these people are I'm, I'm fans of. They're going to this festival. I should definitely go there and meet them and rub shoulders with celebrities. Yeah. Hell yeah! So people start booking their tickets. Uh. And so, if if anything can be taken away from this campaign it's really successful spending a lot of money Mm -hmm. on influencers and celebrities to act like they're coming to your thing well the
0: hype around it was enormous yes
1: absolutely but in reality these celebrities would just pay for the promotions and they were never really actually going to attend the festival but this was intentionally kept under wraps yeah Another big draw to the promotion festival of the festival, sorry, is the name drop of the island once being owned by Pablo Escobar. Now, one of the conditions of the lease for the island was that the owner told them that they were not allowed to advertise in any way whatsoever the island was once owned by Pablo Escobar. But as we know now, they fully pushed that shit. The very first promo literally saying, once owned by Pablo Escobar.
0: Yeah, like, wasn't the part of their whole thing, like, party-like, Pablo. Party like Pablo, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Cocaine, whatever. Yeah. So immediately after seeing this, the owner of the company cancels the lease and kicks Billy off the island. And this is just six weeks out of the festival date. So now having to look for an entirely new island with just six weeks out, they've wasted two weeks on this one island. Mm -hmm. So after many rejections, they're finally granted a permit to host a festival in Great Xuma in the Bahamas. Definitely not a private island, and more of a random section of a popular tourist destination. The location was a abandoned development site that had no villas or buildings whatsoever. Regardless, they still advertised the festival as being on a private island, going as far as to Photoshop the map on their website to still look like a remote island. Mm-hmm. So not only do they not have, they have literal weeks to build this festival and prepare it. Uh, but they happen to book it on one of the busiest times of the year in Great Suma, the weekend of their natural regatta, which, uh, national regatta, which is during which the island's population nearly doubles. So, all the, all the accommodation in the area gets booked out months in advance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, okay. That's kind of fucked. And to top it off, they've sold out all their tickets to an estimated 5,000 individuals, Some of these tickets were purchased as packages, some including private flights from Miami to the island, meals and accommodation, and they were advertised as beachside villas in different packages. That absolutely did not even exist. So there's about 500 people uh, had been... 500 villas had been purchased, and they also oversold the lodge tent packages that they were advertising, leaving them to need to find housing for over... 350 people on top of the already 500 people who purchased the villas. So the influencers also that were used to promote the festival were all promised accommodation for free being beachside villas that also did not exist. Mm. So just weeks out from the festival, uh, they have no accommodation for anyone and new problems are popping up each and every single day. The production team are insistent that they have to cut the influences out as they weren't paying for housing And they didn't have the funding to really afford it. Billy, however, would reject this completely and would not cut the influences out. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they have no accommodation for the festival. They need a solution. They managed to secure leftover hurricane tents from Hurricane Matthew. So all this work needs to be done. And now they need to construct all these tents for people. So Billy hires the help of hundreds of locals in the area to help construct the festival, promising to pay them all after the fact. In the heat of all these issues, they still have yet to book in the musicians to actually play the festival. On the bill, they managed to book in Major Lazer, Blink-182, Disclosure, Migos, Lil Yachty, Skepta, and several other performers, big names that, as well... Uh, adding up to the final cost of the festival. Mm -hmm. Very expensive. So needless to say, Billy McFarlane is 100% a con artist through and through. He, He is, however, a very, very good one. So to help the continued and needed funding for Fire Festival, Billy manages to bring in more and more investors every single day for the festival. He had an interview on Jordan Harbinger's podcast where he said leading up to the festival, he would wake up every day, send out payments that needed to be wired that day with bank wires generally closing at 4 p.m. So at some point, he was literally waking up, spending hours finding $3 million and then having to wire that $3 million before the banks close.
0: That's insane. So he
1: would have to pay that money, but also find the money for that day.
0: I mean, con artist, but also like, that's, that's some talent right there. Really is. Like, yeah. he knew, making like, $3 million out of nothing. Just out
1: of nothing. It's crazy. So at this point, the production team were again urging Billy to advertise the tents, uh, attendees where they would be staying, but like they had to show the people that this is where they're going to be sleeping as they would find out sooner than later. Um So they just wanted to be fully transparent with the people who bought the tickets, show attendees what they were getting themselves into. But again, Billy would reject this issue, this idea completely and essentially would go on to hashtag fire festival. Anyone who went against him. Hmm. Want to get that? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> in a further attempt to exploit the attendees even more and raise even more money, Billy would come up with the fire band, which would allow people to preload money onto their wristbands to essentially fund the entire weekend, making the festival a cashless and cardless event, even though these bands uh, had never been properly tested before and would be completely questionable with the internet connections in the Bahamas. They literally did not have any money left at this point. Weeks out from the event, they have no money left whatsoever. So this was their way of effectively funding the remainder of the event. Ah, They're recommending people load at least $300 to $500 for each day they're spending on the island. So getting around like $10,000 from each person. And this is all to fund the remainder of the festival. They have no real intention of allowing these bands to work at this point. So all of the social media promotion for the festival still was only featuring the original promotional content. So nothing of the festival conditions in this current island, and the original sketches that were showing the accommodation, like the villas and whatnot in the packages were taken down completely. So, lots of questions were being asked from people who had purchased tickets. All of the social media was just filled with people asking about the flight information, accommodation, um, catering, amongst other things. And this would continue to grow with attendees progressively getting more and more disgruntled by the lack of answers from the organizers. And this led to the official social media for Fire Festival to completely shut comments off completely. Okay, so now two weeks out from the festival, shit is really hitting the fan, and to add fuel to the fire, Billy fires the entire food catering service for the festival. Originally, the catering company was going to cost them $6 million. At this point, though, they only had $1 million left in the budget, so he cut costs where he could. Yeah. Time and time again, the production team were telling Billy that the festival could not proceed and it needed to be cancelled but, of course, he would not listen. Just a week before the festival, they were able to secure a different catering company for the event. Literally a day before the event, they did not have enough beds for staff, VIPs, or guests attending. So, with all the money Billy had conned out of the investors, he had literally no other option but to continue with the festival. He couldn't yeah. cancel right there because... He had this clause in the, uh, for the investors that if, in the event of a cancellation, all the investors would be refunded their money. Oof. And this would be fine if they had the money for the cancellation. But they've spent it. But they've spent it already. So, still a day before the festival, Blink182 pulled out Fire Festival, stating they did not have what they would need to provide a quality performance for their fans. Now the already unfinished uh, site for the for the campsite and the festival was further put under stress. And the night before the festival, a giant storm hit the island, resulting in all the mattresses in the tents getting soaked. This, as well, uh, affected the carpets in the tents, so everything was soaked. Mm. The morning hits of the twenty eighth of April, and guests start flying in from uh, flying in from Miami. Instead of bringing all the guests right to the campsite, Billy instead redirects them all to a nearby beach restaurant to give them more time to rebuild the tents from the storm damage. The guests were kept here for about six hours, where they were just drinking and hanging out, and giving drinks. Um, some people were growing impatient, asking the restaurant workers where their luggage is, when they're going to get to the campsite, and of course, they're just regular know restaurant what's going workers. On. They, but the workers have no idea. They're just, yeah, they're just. Restaurant workers, they have no clue. Eventually, the buses take them back to the campsite and everyone is fucking shook at the supposed luxury villa. It's just seas of tents. And yeah. insert the plethora of videos that people upload on the internet of them coming over the hill into the to see the tents and just literally being shook. Mm. So once there, everyone was just kind of... There, there was no direction given. Literally just people standing around waiting for for someone to tell them where they're meant to be going next. But instead of that happening, staff were just giving them out free bottles of tequila upon arrival, which is a terrible idea. So no food, no water, no nothing, no direction. They're just Just giving out tequila. Just lots of drunk people. Yes. So the sun is going down and still no one has access to their tents, their bags, and there's no direction given. Finally at like pitch black night, two large shipping containers with everyone's bags arrive and they're literally told to just go find their shit. It's a fucking free-for-all to try and find your bag. Billy goes out into the crowd and is yelling out to people, telling them that whoever bought tickets for a villa to just go grab a tent. So it turns into literally Hunger Games trying to find a tent. Yeah. People rushing to find one for themselves. People are missing bags. And as I mentioned before because this is the most busiest time in the island's year, all the nearby resorts are completely booked out. So, desperate for mattresses that weren't soaked, people raided other tents for their mattresses and brought them back to their own. By the end of the night, all tents were full with only one-third of the total guests actually in attendance. More were still coming the next day. At this point, people are posting all over social media with videos and photos of the reality of Fire Festival. People were essentially stranded in the Bahamas with nowhere to go, no food, no water, barely any electricity, and the supposed celebrity chef catering that uh, went viral when people were posting photos of what the food actually looked like. And there's that really um, viral one that went completely gangbusters, the two slices of bread with cheese in the middle and the salad Mm. in the little container. That was the entire meal for people.
0: Yeah, that photo went viral.
1: Yeah. So by now, all the music acts were slowly cancelling one by one, and the reality of the situation was sinking in for everybody involved. By the next morning, Firefesta was officially cancelled, and the news of what happened gets picked up by news media everywhere and fully goes viral. Five Festival themselves released a statement saying, due to the circumstances out of our control, the physical infrastructure was not in place on time, and we were unable to fulfill on our that vision safely and enjoyably for our guests. The festival is being postponed until we can further assess if and when we are able to create the high-quality experience we envisioned. Now we know 100% that this is bullshit because they. 100% were in control of the circumstances mm-hmm. the entire way through. And they knew
0: it was never coming together. They
1: just royally fucked it up. So the Fire Festival team are now working on charting people back to Miami. Miami, uh, Complimentary, of course. However, they aren't, there aren't enough planes to take everybody back, so many guests are locked inside the airport overnight until more flights could go out. This, while not given any food, no water, zero air conditioning, all stuck inside. And keep in mind too, Fire Festival was a completely cashless and cardless festival, meaning people didn't even have money to book taxis or get food or mm. afford any amenities. Nothing. So eventually, all the guests had flown back to Miami. Now came the issue of the hundreds of locals who had helped build the festival. Obviously, incredibly frustrated, and they had not received their payments yet. They're all demanding to be paid. Things get so bad that even hits are put out on people who were involved in the festival. This included Billy.
0: Wasn't this at the part of the documentary where one of the guys in charge talks about how he's going to go suck someone's dick for some Evian or something?
1: Yeah. 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 Very fucking crazy situation. So uh, people looking for pay payment and obviously they're turning to Billy. But Billy is, however, nowhere to be found. So, the rest of the team literally have to fend for themselves to get the hell out of the island. The locals and the restaurant uh, where guests were sent to were never paid. And Fire Festival gave people the option who purchased tickets uh, either a full refund or they could uh, keep their tickets and have a VIP experience for the next Fire Festival next year, 2018. Now, the 2018 festival obviously never happened and the co-founders, Billy McFarland and Ja Rule, were sued for $100 million in a class action lawsuit on behalf of the festival goers. Billy was also charged with multiple counts of fraud and sentenced to six years in federal prison in 2018. So, just a few things to mention about the aftermath of this festival. Uh, Ja Rule... Uh, after the, everything happening, with the festival happened, would go on Twitter posting, "quote, it was not a scam and this w- is not my fault." Mm. And then would have like interviews before, where he'd be like, eh, "It sucks that my name's connected to like this thing that really hurt people. That really sucks." And it's like, "Oh, poor baby, <laughs> poor rich really rapper. Sucks for you. Really sucks." Um, the lawsuit happens, and the criminal investigation happens, and the eventual arrest of Billy's made. And much like the locals and the restaurant, the caterers for the company, uh, for the event, were also not paid. So in a 2019 crowdfund, um, they managed to raise over two hundred thousand dollars in August of 20 um, for the catering company. And in August of 2020, the United States Marshals Service auctioned off all the remaining Fire Festival merchandise that Billy had kept for future sale, um, with all the proceeds going to those affected by the festival. And of course, in 2019, two films were made. There was Fire Fraud, by mm-hmm. Jenna Frost and Julia Willoughby-Nason, which pre- premiered in um, on Hulu in January 14, and then there was just Fire by Chris Smith, which was released on Netflix on January 18. Both of which seek critical acclaim. All of which have like, I think, 80 to 90 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, further spreading the the virality of
0: Oh yeah, Fire it's become festival. like a living legend. Absolutely,
1: yeah. But the the documentary is just completely cemented in history forever. I feel like people had heard about it, but not a lot of people knew about what happens. Like they saw the photos and the news coverage and whatnot. The festival fully put everything in perspective. What was happening. Yeah, step well by the documentary
0: step. like really went into the lead up to it as well, yeah. I think. Yeah.
1: And the perspective from the staff members and mm. whatnot. But yeah, that is the phenomenon of fire festival. Very nice. uh, It's it's insane. Like things happen nowadays where there's like a similar sort of connotation. Like things aren't properly prepared for, and literally, it's become like the next Woodstock. Yeah, and it's like people comparing it, calling it the next fire festival, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, crazy. It's incredible. Crazy, crazy, crazy times. Well done, Tama. That was a good story. Yeah. I liked that. We're going to take a wee little break.
1: A little break.
0: And then we'll be back for my part. We are back. We
1: is back.
0: We is back. We hope you enjoyed your little break, your yes. little wee break, your wee wees, or your little nothing break if yep. you didn't do anything and you just listened straight through the peaceful elevator music.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let's get into this. Let's just
1: of. jump right into well, let's it.
0: Let's just jump right into it. So this is, a. am going to be talking about a topic that I've always, like it's always been sort of something that I've... Known about, and it's one of those like weird, I guess. Well, it's not an urban legend because it's real, but one of those things, especially for us here in Australia, that you hear about and you're like, wow, that's kind of crazy. And then it has sort of recently become a bit more of a big deal because uh, Paris Hilton talked about it in her YouTube documentary, Mm -hmm. and it's also kind of blowing up on TikTok at the moment. Uh, there is, like, an ongoing social media campaign called, like, Hashtag Breaking Code Silence. Yep. I, as far as I can tell, this is not a thing in Australia or any other country, at least not in the same huge way it is in the States. Um, there is a enormous industry which centres around, quote, troubled teens. Uh, so if you've never heard of these things before, like I said, really big in the States. So they're essentially... Uh, schools or camps or detention centres where parents can have their children sent to help them with problems, you know, ranging from like full-blown addiction to, you know, simply teens who have quote like attitude problems. Uh, From my research, a lot of them appear deeply rooted in the Christian church and like evangelical beliefs. Some of them operate in much healthier ways with, you know, animal therapy, exercise, being outdoors and, Mm -hmm. There are some that seem to genuinely have the kids' well-being at the centre of what they do and kids actually walk away having good experiences, experiences yeah. from them. Yeah. Others do not. Obviously, those are the ones we're going to be talking about. Absolutely. So it is estimated per year around 50,000 children. Mind you, all of the statistics I'm going to be talking about are just from the States because, like I said, I really don't think it these things yeah. kind of exist in other places. I don't think so either. So, around 50,000 children are admitted to these programs against their will per year. And as a whole, this industry has an estimated profit, not revenue, estimated profit of $1 billion a year. Jesus. Which is nuts.
1: That's insane.
0: So, in the United States, children do not have what's called medical autonomy in the same way that a lot of other countries do. It does, from what I understand kind of within the united states vary state to state but generally speaking children don't have medical autonomy which means parents can simply sign on the dotted line and these kids have absolutely no say in what happens to them so the largest umbrella organization for what's called what these wilderness programs are called in the u.s is the national association of therapeutic schools and programs now they describe themselves as, per their website, the National Association of Therapeutic Schools and Programs is the largest not-for-profit membership association in the US dedicated to residential treatment centres, therapeutic boarding schools, and wilderness therapy programs. So basically it's like one big thing where you can register your particular school and then parents can like have one big database of all these places. Right Now, an instant red flag when you go onto their website and you go into the who are we part. They have a bunch of different things that they go out of their way to be like, oops, we're doing some things different now because obviously they've come under fire of course, in yeah. a huge way. So they split these things that they've changed about how they run and how the schools that are associated with them run as, you know, or before and now, as in like, oh, before I used to yeah. eat chocolate for breakfast and now I eat salads. So the biggest red flag for me was this section, which is the licensed therapists and treatment plans. That's the subheading. So before no requirement for licensed therapists or clinicians to oversee treatment in therapeutic schools or programs, no license requirements, none. You can just be like, yeah, I'm going to start a reform school. And they're like, cool. Good on you.
1: Great. Fantastic. Now
0: therapeutic services are required to be overseen by a qualified clinician, clinician, clinic, Clinician, Clinicewood. F- Clinicewood?
1: Yeah. A qualified qu- Clinicewood.
0: How do you say that word? Clinician. Clini- clinician? Yeah,
1: clinician. like a, like a clinic clinician.
0: clinician. Yeah. That's, I'm saying that right, right? Yeah, I believe so. I'm just going to... Oh. I don't know. All therapists employed at NATSAP programs must be licensed. A program who employs only non-licensed therapists is not eligible to become an NATSAP member. Okay. Not to say there are any laws that ensure that these schools have to have licensed people because you can literally just start your own reform school. There are no laws. Yeah. All the laws vary very much state to state in the US.
1: But if you've got a mate who's qualified to like overlook something.
0: Yeah. These things are like by. the Wild West. Yeah. There are no laws or rules really about them at all.
1: Like, hey Dave, you're registered. you want to come over and check my reform school? Yeah. Yeah, it looks good to me. So, yeah.
0: before this um, association was essentially just letting anyone start a reform school, anyone literally abduct children in the middle of the night yep. and just take them into the desert and keep them there against their will for months. Can't month see on
1: anything end. wrong with that.
0: Many states don't require background checks for staff. Which you would think working with children, yeah. that's the first thing you do. Fucking and there have been multiple investigations into sexual abuse and arrests for sexual assault at teen residential and wilderness programs.
1: Big surprise.
0: Okay, so a rundown of these wilderness ones is essentially parents who are at their wits end will contact these programs, who, by the way, charge exorbitant fees up to $10,000 a month. Sheesh. Uh, the camps will send people who will basically abduct children from their home at night. So there's the wilderness programs and then there's a whole other uh, sub-genre of companies whose one job is to transport these kids. So they will literally hire goons to come to these kids' houses, abduct them, take them to the airport, put them on the plane and then drive them out to these programs that are in the middle of the desert in like Utah. Wow. So programs uh differ in intensity and duration although typically they involve activities such as like hiking and learning wilderness skills at one of them which is called Red Cliff staff teach students how to make fires using only materials gathered from the wild a seemingly simple task that actually can take weeks to master most teens admitted to wilderness programs are there for a few months although some stay as long as 2 years So, in an article that Vox did with one of the survivors of these camps, um, the interviewee described being taken as this. So, this is his exact words I've only been home for a few hours when two strangers open the bedroom door. It is six in the morning, but the disturbance doesn't wake me. I'm awake already. I don't know for how long, minutes, or seconds. They are standing in the doorway, two men, each of them alone more than big enough to move me on my own. One of them speaking, kind already. hey, let's go. My parents are gone. There's an SUV in the driveway. One of the men, transporters, I'll later learn they're called, asks me how old I am. I am indifferent in the SUV, one transporter up front, the other in the back beside me. One highway east, one south out of the valley. I am indifferent in the parking lot at LAX and in the terminal and through security. A TSA officer nods when one of the escorts shows her a pass in lieu of a ticket. He's not flying, but both have, both have them. They've got to guard me until boarding. I wait for the agent to ask what the hell is going on, but she just nods. Evidently, I am the only party that has not consented to this abduction. So these camps are highly unregulated and almost impossible to get true numbers on how many of them there are, because like I said, there's really no laws
1: the kind of flying on the radar. Basically. Yeah.
0: So one of the big ones that I'm going to talk about, which is now shut down, but ran for literally 40 years through the 1990s, is Freedom Village, USA. So after 40 years in operation, finally, very recently in 2019, the camp was closed because of financial allegations, not because of any of the any. multiple allegations yeah. of abuse. Um, and any remaining students were sent back home. Freedom Village had relied on an evangelical regime and curriculum and had been hounded by allegations of financial mismanagement and the misuse of millions of dollars of donations, as well as their poor treatment of the children who attended the camp. Freedom Village worked on a very Bible-heavy, chore-heavy framework and would give kids infringements for very, very small things that could often be essentially made up by the individual counsellors on the spot. Punishment for which could be, you know, something like chopping and carrying wood for hours on end in the freezing cold. They also encouraged an environment where to avoid getting in trouble and to move up through the ranks. So basically when you come into these camps, you start at like rank one or level one and the more quote good things you do, the higher up in the ranks you go. And if you get to a particular rank, then you get to go home. Mm -hmm. So they would encourage kids to dob on other kids to A, not get themselves in trouble and B, get like points to move up through this rank system. Right. In an interview which was aired in the 90s, one of the pastors who ran Freedom Village asked the kids, do we beat you? Don't get me wrong. I'd like to a couple of times. (laughs) Ah, <laughs> oh, it's
1: so funny. That's so
0: funny. Another camp uh, whose name I could not locate became involved in a scandal I- again in the 90s when in May 1990, a 15-year-old girl who was enrolled in a nine-week wilderness program, um, although the program claimed that all the counsellors were highly trained survival experts, they were not. And they oh, didn't recognise some of the very basic signs of dehydration when this young girl became began complaining of blurred vision, stumbling and vomiting water three days into a hike. According to police documents, on the fifth day and after nearly two days of incredibly serious symptoms of dehydration, the teenage girl finally collapsed and became unresponsive, at which point counsellors attempted to signal for help using a fire because they were not equipped with radios. Police documents state that the victim lay dead on a dirt road for 18 hours before rescuers Jesus.
1: arrived. Yeah, of course. He's fucking experts.
0: The owner of this camp did close this particular camp down, but in a very common act, simply relocated yeah, and opened a different camp in a different state. That's
1: the issue with not fucking regulating these things. So yeah. can just open up a new one.
0: Another school which has come under fire is Sorensen's Ranch School, which could lose its license for forcing kids to chop wood, shovel manure, or walk for hours on end as punishment. Officials with the Utah Office of Licensing say that two years ago, Sorenson's Ranch School, based in the central Utah town of Kurisham, said it would stop using what it called mountain camp. School administrators described it as a low-level camp where students haul wood, improve the land, and complete, quote, therapy assignments. Sorenson's Ranch didn't stop doing these things and so the state of utah issued them with a notice of agency action uh regulators say that the mountain camp is still in use and sorenson's ranch has continued to force students to do physical labor or repetitive walking which violates state rules because it's basically torture you can't use physical exertion as a a punishment of course yeah the School which has 98 beds required teens to pick up rocks, chop wood, shovel manure, paint and pull weeds as consequences for bad behavior. Regulators say that Sorensen's Ranch School, um, sorry, said that they told Sorensen's Ranch School several times that this practice violates Utah's rules, whereas, as I said, physical labor can't be used as a punishment for yep. negative behavior. So a lot of these places function off a regime of punishment. And this is kind of what's gone recently viral on TikTok is survivors coming out of these camps talking about what sort of punishments they're given. A lot of it is mental. Um, so a lot of it is kind of like mental and emotional Psychological torture, yeah. Not being told where they are, where they're going, not being told when they can leave. Kids who are part of the LGBTQI community Um, because many of these camps are Christian, are forced to go through conversion therapy or forced to talk about their, quote, sins in front of other campers and basically admit to all their sexual acts. Uh, A lot of survivors talk about not being allowed to call or write home, having their conversations monitored so they couldn't be honest about what was happening, or if the kids were able to have honest conversations about what was going on, the camp camp... the camp counselors would tell the parents that the kids were simply lying in an attempt to get to go home just be like oh they're going to try and manipulate you and that was um i watched a bunch of interviews with survivors and their parents and that was one of the parents what she said she was like well the counselors would always get on the phone with me before i was allowed to speak to my son and they would warn you and be like oh he's going to say all this Shit, he's going to say that we're torturing him to try and get you to feel guilty and let him come home. Like, he's making it all up. He's manipulating you. Don't believe him. So then, obviously, when the son comes on the phone and talks about them literally torturing him, the mother has already been prepared for this. She's like, oh, they said you were going to do this. Like, you're just lying They've implanted
1: that in her mind already.
0: Yeah. A lot of the punishments were purely physical, long stints of isolation where these children are put in literal concrete cells, with no contact and forced to stay there, sometimes for month-long stints. Keeping in mind, and I looked this up, in jail, in Australia at least, the longest consecutive time prisoners can spend in solitary confinement is seven days. Any longer than that is illegal because it's classed as torture.
1: Legit, yeah.
0: And they would keep these kids in solitary for for months. Yeah. Yeah. So at Cross Creek, another notorious school, survivors talk about three-day-long seminars that they would attend each month where they would be forced to talk about their issues or what they had gone through prior to coming to camp. Because don't forget, a lot of these kids did have genuine issues like addiction. Trauma. They'd been traumatised. They'd been sexually assaulted. So girls who had been sexually assaulted would be forced to reenact the assault with male staff members while the rest of the children in the audience yelled slurs at her. Oh, my God. So the other kids in the audience would sit and yell, like, slut, whore, while these girls would be forced to reenact...
1: Like a significant moment of trauma.
0: Trauma with male camp counsellors.
1: Yeah.
0: Vice interviewed a former staffer, Ian Demers, who worked at Cross Creek, which was forced to close in 2012. He spoke about how he was sure when he started that they were doing good for these kids. The former staffer who just kind of had like a menial job around. He wasn't one of like the counsellors. He said that he assumed that all the counsellors at the camps were fully licensed and so he, who was just like, you know, worked in the kitchen and helped out, he would see all this stuff and be like, oh, it doesn't look good but I assume like there's a method to this madness. They know what they're doing. So they let a lot of things slide and assumed it was for the best because they thought these counsellors were professionals. Yeah. Another infamous reform school, Turnabout Ranch, which has been put in the spotlight multiple times at, as it's been the preferred last-ditch attempt used by Dr. Phil for troubled teens. So Bad Baby or Danielle Brigoli or the Cash Me Outside, How About That girl was mm-hmm. sent there by Dr. Phil and has since come out on her YouTube channel in support of another girl, Hannah Arculeta who was 17 years old when she was brought to Turnabout Ranch in October 19 by Dr. Phil. yeah, She claims she was sexually assaulted by a male staff member 10 days after her arrival, but she didn't report the incident at the time because she would be punished for it. Yes. Uh, So Brigoli has come out supporting Hannah and she's also discussed multiple other incidents of poor behaviour by counsellors such as what they called reflection where kids would be forced to walk around in circles for hours on end in a horse pen like out in the cold or denied like food or basic creature comforts like warm clothes or a bed. Yeah. Um, while Brigoli was at Turnabout Ranch, one of the kids, Clay Brewer, who had been sent there due to drug addiction and was 17 at the time, actually ended up attacking and killing one of the older counselors, Jimmy Woosley, and it was said that this attack was provoked because Clay was trying to escape the ranch. Multiple kids witnessed the attack firsthand and were forbidden to discuss it amongst themselves or to, you know, their parents when they spoke to them. So the laws are slowly starting to change with Utah a state with one of the largest collections of these reform schools with over about 100 just within that state. Attempting to bring in laws that place more stringent controls on these schools as well as enforcing visits to ensure the schools are not mistreating students. But basically a lot of people are saying it's very unlikely that anything drastic is going to change purely because these schools bring in so much money. And they're often – so one of the survivors talked about how it wasn't actually her parents that sent her. It was her school district and her school district was also the one that paid for this reform school.
1: Right. So
0: it's actually like the states that end up paying for them. And so then this girl was talking about how it's kind of like this cycle of once you get in the system – and the school district is paying for it. So they know it's not like a parent who's eventually going to run out of money. Yeah. They will try and find ways to keep you in the system for as long as possible. They have kind of like halfway homes where you've left the reform school, but you haven't actually left the reform school. Like yeah. you're in this halfway house and you're still being it's a part of methods. the system. Yeah. Um, and basically that a lot of the way these kids get out of these schools is because they simply turn 18 and Mm. legally are adults and allowed to leave.
1: That's just so many levels of twisted.
0: It is. And it's insane because like, like I said, it's something that I've like kind of known about and known that it existed for a while, but I didn't know it was a $1 billion industry. Like that's an enormous amount of money.
1: Add up though. Like just the level of corruption within like, State level educational systems, as well. Mm. And you throw in, and not to like, you know, not to insult anyone, but you throw in religious instances there. Yeah. Lots of corruption, lots of greediness with religion. That's just a general fact. That's a 100% factor in all of this. It's, it, it says a lot. And America being a predominantly Christian and, you know, um, evangelical. Mm. country as opposed to like Australia or the UK, which has a pretty insignificant uh, rate of Christians. um, America has a large percentage of religious Christian people. So like a country like this is, and why predominantly it's mainly happening in America is because of this, the the general amount of religious people in America. There's just a large percentage of them.
0: But yeah, it's just, it's kind of insane. Like a lot of the, kids who have come out of these schools say things like you know they would be given punishment for like really small stupid like infringements things like being forced to sit in a chair and stare at a wall all day and not being allowed to like speak to anyone being tied like on a leash to other camp counselors. uh so it's not like it, it's not necessarily, you know, they're being hit, or it's no. really
1: in horrific, some,
0: creative yeah. ways that For, these schools can punish these kids. Exactly. Yeah. And then it it kind of means they can't get in trouble because it's like, well, we didn't, we didn't hit you, like exactly, we didn't yeah. physically.
1: If the law states something specifically, they're going to try and find some workaround, and the workaround they've found is equally as traumatic and severe as just physically abusing yeah. these Danielle students.
0: Bregoli summed it up really well in her in her um, interview she did. She said, if the law required these schools to give you two pebbles, they would find the two smallest possible pebbles to yeah. give you. Like, they would just find a way to either get around the law or fulfil it in the most... Minuscule Minuscule, minimal, basic yeah. way they could possibly do it. Yeah. So... Yeah, those are the wilderness schools or the troubled teens industry as yeah. it's starting to become known And owners.
1: it's genuinely like it does that whole statement of like that nothing's really going to happen from it. Like that makes sense.
0: It makes so much money. Think about
1: all the shit that has happened with Hillsong and like Hillsong is still as popular as mm. it is today.
0: Well, just in Utah alone, there's an estimated over 100 schools and the industry employs almost 6,000 people Jesus. and that's one state. That's
1: one state alone. And then you have in different states just different things happening. You have the police in those states looking after things and not knowing what's happening in this state. Mm. It's That's kind of the, the craziest thing about the fractured states of America, just the different things happening in each and every state and you can connect it from the outside but inside it's like... These are all different instances that are happening in different areas. Yeah, and it's not going to become a national thing until it's like like this. It becomes viral.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's kind of crazy. And the the further in it, um, like the further in it you dig, the worse it kind of the gets. more you uncover. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's like an iceberg of just yeah, basically constant, yeah. Just, just gets progressively just gets more, and more and more worse. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which, like, when it comes to reform, reformatory methods and, and religion, that doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Well,
0: that's the thing. Like, from what I was reading, most actual licensed psychologists and therapists yeah. genuine, like, generally say that they don't believe these schools do any good. No. no. Or if they, you know, the kids that they do help far outweigh the kids that, that they, they fuck up, yeah, exactly, or make worse, or give like severe trauma and PTSD to, yeah, yeah.
1: So, I mean, if you are a parent and your child's acting up, please, for the love of yeah, maybe Christ, don't
0: think that getting them kidnapped and sent to the desert is a yeah. good idea.
1: I mean, there's definitely like there's definitely therapeutic methods out there. Question therapy is. Trialed and yeah, animal and
0: like nature therapy
1: for sure, one hundred percent
0: amazing. But
1: but like not accompanied with like yeah
0: punishment and yeah mental and psychological torture.
1: But the thing is too, and it's kind of like the whole idea of help, like global warming and the giant waste issues in our earth. But it's not so much even like you as a parent. Knowing where your child is going to because, from the sound of it, it's like they're these organizations are very good at what they do mm. and can outwardly project themselves in a certain way that seems innocent, yeah, and have incredible methods to hide what actually happens inside. So, it's not even like a, I mean, as a parent for sure, like you can do as much as you can, but it's not even really up to you, it's up to the states and mm. the educational industry to really fucking pull the thumb out of their ass and do yeah. something about this.
0: Because from, like, obviously there are some horrific parents who just can't be bothered. Give them fuck, yeah. But for the most part, it seems like these are parents who were genuinely, like, at their wits' end and thought that they were doing something that would help yeah. their kid. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty horrible. Yeah. But that's my story for the week. Done.
1: Great. Well, all right. Well, if you guys are just here for our stories and our cases, then uh, we thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. And if you are here for the remainder of the show, we'll be kind of just yarn on for a bit. Welcome. How was your week leading up to this episode? Um, we are Hope speaking had to a you. Good week. Yeah. Hope you have a have a good day when this comes out as well.
0: Yeah. Welcome from the, the past. past. Where Ooh. were you
1: A wee- exactly a week from this episode uploading? What were you doing?
0: What were you thinking about? What were you thinking about? What's the sound of a tree falling in the forest when no one's around to hear it? These are the questions, I think. These are
1: the questions you need to ask yourself. Is the glass half full or is it half empty?
0: Or does the glass not exist?
1: The glass does not exist. Mm -hmm. Ooh.
0: We're living in the matrix. I kind of
1: like, so, oh yeah, just to sort of um, touch on what we were talking about at the start of the episode, we're doing um, a week in advance, which kind of gives us more room to to work around with and gives us a good schedule to work with when we're dealing with our Patreon, with additional content, Mm -hmm. with um, just our social media, things like that. Um, And... We also have on Wednesday mornings. We now have, uh, you know, just days a day together where we can plan all this stuff. We have our schedules match up perfectly. We can just do this in the morning, which is much better content-wise because we're up and bright and coffeeed up. And
0: it is very weird doing it. Yeah, doing it in the day. In the day, it's very strange. It's light out, and I. Like, I'll get used to it, but it's very, it's yeah. odd.
1: I kind of just, I feel like it's going to be better for the content um, rather than doing it, finding some time after like our days.
0: We're planning on bringing back Shaken Not Stirred yes. and the Friday mini-sodes.
1: Mini-sodes, yeah.
0: It's all, it's all coming together.
1: It's all hidden. There
0: will be some Patreon exclusive stuff, I mm-hmm. think. Yep. We don't know. We haven't, re- at this point. In the past, when we're recording this, we don't really know what's happening. By the time Hopefully, the episode comes out, in the future, yeah. when you're listening to this, we've got our shit together a bit yeah. more. Um, so, if it is ready, we would love if you were wanting to, you know, show your financial support for the show. Mm-hmm. You can do so by subscribing to our Patreon.
1: Yeah. It kind of just like also furthers to legitimize the show and incentivizes us to, I guess, treat it more seriously, if that makes sense. Yeah. Not that we don't already, but it when you have uh, just your day-to-day schedule and you have your week-by-week, your month-by-month, it's sort of... Feels like a passion project, and it is definitely a passion project. But like legitimizing it, just it, sort of takes it to the next level. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting and fun um, direction for the show to become a little bit more serious. Yeah. It.
0: But it will always be what Trashy. it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even if we get a little bit more organized, it will yeah. always be a bit of a hot mess. Yes, because.
1: That's just who we are. It's who we are. Yeah, that's know, why who you. Who we are at our core. Yeah. I, you are. I thought you were about to say something. No, <laughs> I was thinking. You did the whole like.
0: No, I was just thinking. <laughs> I was inhaling because I was contemplating life.
1: Yeah, of course. Aren't we all? Aren't we all contemplating life? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, so let us know also how you guys have been finding these cases that we've been covering. They're a Less bit different. Less
0: crimey. Oh, I guess they're not. Still kind of crimey. They're still pretty crimey.
1: 100% crimey. Um, but also just not as, oh, excuse me, not as murdery,
0: Yeah. Although mine still included a little bit of a murder.
1: Yeah, yours did. Definitely didn't include a murder. A little bit. Yeah. Um, not to say we won't cover, like, true crime stuff ever again because definitely will oh
0: we definitely will we've got to go back to our roots
1: yeah it's just there's so much like interesting stuff to to talk about and things that i think would make for a good episode Mm. nice to talk about like things you guys can reach out to us and like give your thoughts on um give us suggestions some stuff to do like it's it just sort of makes it a lot more of an interesting show
0: yeah to to work
1: directly with you guys because i feel like at the end of the day it's like it's it's a it's a fun show for us to do, but it's also for you guys listening and it's fun to interact with you guys directly and have you guys exactly. involved in the show. And that's something that we're probably going to explore more in our Patreon as well. Mm. Um, for Patreon uh, you subscribers. How to yeah. You guys will also be some, in some sort of way, uh, directly involved with the show as well. Yeah. So that'd be it's really gonna fun. It's going to be good. It's going to yeah. be
0: fun. What else has been happening this week? Um, Not a whole lot
1: Just been, yeah It's just been a pretty stock in week Just been planning out everything
0: We have D&D tonight We do Which I'm very excited about
1: Yes Um, uh, On the day of recording um, We're going to a wedding on On, on Saturday.
0: Saturday Yes, that should be fun Yep I'm excited about that And then we're For the people who keep asking We're getting married in Three months?
1: I think about that, yeah. Roughly
0: three months? In August. August. Yeah. End of August. End of August. So May, June, yeah, like three months, yeah. four months. There you go. Um. Yeah, what else? What else can we talk about? I don't have much to talk about today.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're getting married. That's about...
0: That's exciting. That's
1: exciting, yeah. I have my suit fitting sometime soon.
0: It better be sometime soon.
1: Um, Laura has her dress.
0: I picked up my dress last week. Yes, that was very exciting.
1: Yeah.
0: It fits, which it is fits. good. fantastic. Because I was worried it wouldn't fit. Yep. If it uh, fits. If it fits, I sits. And yeah, I don't know. We haven't really worked out how we're going to tackle doing the show when we get married. I
1: suppose we'll just like pre- Record Pre-record. a couple of episodes, yeah. I don't know. Or maybe we'll take a break. Who knows?
0: Who knows? Maybe yeah. we'll live stream the whole thing.
1: Oh, wouldn't that on be great? The
0: BFC, For I'm our sure Patreon you.
1: exclusive.
0: Patreon exclusive live <laughs> streaming of our wedding. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, I don't know. I need to just, just stop inviting people. That's what I need to do. I keep making new friends and inviting more people and the guest list is spiraling out of you control. Know what we need to
1: do is start kicking people out.
0: But who I don't want to kick anyone out. I like everyone that's invited. Yeah. Bar one person.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I really don't have much to discuss today.
1: Yeah. I guess just, you know, all all we really have to say is just thank you guys very much for your continued support of the show. Um and thank you for sharing it around to your friends and your social media feeds. We are on social media. Um, so we we love interacting with you guys there. Thank you for reviewing the show, and if you're going to support us on Patreon, we very much thank you as well. Um, it will all go directly to our wedding fund, literally, <laughs> uh, which is great. Um,
0: Every bit counts.
1: Yeah, but it'll also like help the show going, um, which is probably actually where the money is going to go. Just. Directly funding back into the show and making it...
0: Yeah, maybe like some marketing. Yeah, things know. like I that. I don't really know. Marketing a podcast is weird. Because I weird. feel like there's not really... I don't know. Like, if, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not a great marketer. If anyone listening to this is a marketer and wants to give me tips, would love that because yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Neither of us know what we're doing.
1: Maybe we just need to like get a, a celebrity guest on the show.
0: If you are a celebrity listening yes. to this, imagine if there was, imagine if there was like a secret celebrity that listened to this show and we would never you'd never know. That's the crazy thing about a podcast.
1: We, I want to interview Don John Douglas. That needs that's like the milestone for the show.
0: We've called him we've we've called him daddy way too many times for him he, to ever he listen. He won't
1: listen to the show, but like he'll 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 I mean it'd be great to have him on. And I'm sure he would appreciate being called daddy. <laughs>
0: I don't know if he would. Daddy Doug. Daddy Dougie.
1: I think he would appreciate it. He's
0: such a cool... He's had such an amazing life. I
1: know. It's fascinating. He's a
0: fascinating character. Maybe maybe we'll send him him a letter. (gasps) Maybe we should send him a letter.
1: Let's send him a letter.
0: That's a great idea. Yeah. Let's do that. If
1: you guys want to support the show, you can check out our Patreon. It'll be live on our social media.
0: I'm committing to it. Yep. Committed to it on the show. Just so we can
1: get Johnny... Daddy Dougie onto our show.
0: Yeah. That would be amazing. Fantastic. I don't know. Maybe if there's other things that you want to see on the show, let us know. Yeah. All that jazz.
1: Because we're going to be experimenting with Shaker Not Stirred and mini-sodes and Patreon stuff. So, we'll have a lot of options for you guys to interact with us, but also to suggest content and be directly involved. Um, All that will be, I guess, shown on our social media. So... If you want to keep updated on that, we'll be covering it on social media, but also in our future episodes, we'll have, um, I guess, more information about on, on it as well and links and whatnot. Mm. Um, but until then, uh, you can just follow us.
0: At the BSC podcast. Yes. And, and we'll
1: um, catch you next week. Yeah. Um, all of our stuff will be on there. So if you want to help us out, that'd be fantastic. We love you guys. Have a great week. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.